where we're going to be tonight in Isaiah chapter 5. Because here in Isaiah 5, we are going to encounter those who um, have the appearance of faith, um, may, may even have the will to justify themselves, and yet the substance of that faith is corrupted. And, um, and that's the second part of Isaiah 5. And it's a, um, you can read um, right away or see right away that Isaiah 5 is a, is a uh, longer chapter than we've encountered thus far in, in the book of Isaiah. But we're going to make a valiant effort to get all the way through it, all right? I say that every week, but last week, you know, we did three and four. So how about that? So we start off um, Isaiah chapter five with, um, I think you, it's fair to say it's a love song. Uh, it is a poem. It's, uh, it's lyrical. It is indeed, I believe, uh, the Lord's expression of his deep love and care for his people. How's that? Um, and I, I know that, I know that um, I, as, a, as a high school student, I really struggled with this idea of what does it mean to love the Lord? I, I encountered people who talked about loving Jesus and, and having this, this deep um, emotion for the Lord. And I honestly struggled with that. What in the world does that mean? And thankfully, the Lord was patient in teaching me what that means. Uh, it starts with obedience. What does Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments, right? If you love me, do what I say. Um, and, and that's the beginning of loving the Lord. His love for us, however, doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. It is everlasting. And we see that here at the beginning of, of chapter 5. Let's, let's just read. Um, oops. Uh-oh. That's not good. Let's, uh, let's just read the, the first seven verses of chapter 5. Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And he dug it all around, removed its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. And he built a tower in the middle of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it. He expected it to produce good grapes. But it produced only worthless ones. Oh, now inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break it down, break down its walls, and it will become trampled ground, and I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. So I, I will also charge the clouds to rain no more rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. Thus he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. 
for righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Lord, tonight, we ask that you would speak to us clearly from your word, that we might understand with greater clarity your provision for us as your people. We thank you, Lord, that you have indeed expressed your love to us as your people. And yet this word of judgment is hard for us to understand. And so we pray that you would help us apprehend the truth of your scripture, your best intention for your people, Israel, and for your people now, the redeemed among the Gentiles. That would be us, Lord. Thank you for your grace and teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Isaiah's prophecy here creates kind of a moral dilemma for us. Um, it, if God's purpose is redemptive and his promise is the assurance of restoration, that's what we've been talking a lot about the last number of weeks, the previous chapters, how then can he justify venting his wrath upon his own creation, upon the people of his own choosing? That's a head-scratcher, isn't it? If we sit back and simply look at, the, at, at, this, um, at this bald reality, this, this uncovered reality, it is difficult for us to grasp that. But the answer, I believe, is here in this parable, the parable of the vineyard. Now, the parable, again, is perhaps, I, I could see it being a song. Certainly, it's poetic. Um, and it speaks of the Lord's love for his people. But then it also includes, as we will discover uh, uh, going on in this chapter, six woes. And, and I think we could say, yes, even in our culture today, we say, whoa, when it comes to things that are overwhelming, right? And that's really kind of what we see here as well. But there is a, a single point to the parable. If the chosen children of Israel, whom God loves, whom God nurtures, and God protects, if they do not produce the fruits of justice and righteousness, the consequence of that is that he will lift his hand of protection from them and leave them to the consequences of their own sin. So in the, in the previous chapters, we've seen um, the imagery of the vineyard come up. We see it in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We also see it in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And, and um, um, so this imagery of the vineyard is not new uh, it has been introduced before, but never quite to this extent. So we see here, let's look at just verses 1 and 2. Um, God is speaking of unconditional love here. Love that, that um, is taking every measure to cultivate a fruitful vineyard. It's love also that is vulnerable to being wounded. Let me sing now of my well-beloved, says the Lord. A song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved that had a vineyard on a fertile hill. And he, he prepared the ground in every respect. He built a tower in the middle of it. And he even provided this place in the middle for the collecting of all its fruit. And he expected good things from it. Again, this is unconditional love. Now, all of these actions that we see here taken by the owner of the vineyard 
it would be tempting for us to take them each one and parse out some allegorical meaning for, uh, for what it means for our relationship with the Lord. But I don't know that that's, that's the intent here. Rather, uh, the, the intent is simply to talk about his, the fact that God has not left anything undone to provide for his beloved, to be fruitful. Um, verse 2, Isaiah's beloved had great expectations of his vineyard. All this caring work issued in hope. He was looking for an abundant crop. But instead of grapes, it yielded bad fruit. In fact, the Hebrew here um, could be honestly um, translated stink fruit or poison berries. Um, more specifically, it speaks of wild grapes. Uh, every care had been given, even, even lavished upon the vine, but it produced bad fruit. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, Verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God of our Father our Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a lot of blessing, right? <laughs> He's given us every advantage. He goes on, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. That's God's heart toward us. It is a kind intention to bring us to himself, to make us his own children. To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Thanks be to God for that. According to the riches of his grace. Tell me, is... How do you describe the riches of God? You can't. It's unfathomable. It has no limits. And the riches of his grace are the same way. There is no limit. Which, verse 8, the apostle Paul says, this is, he's, he's, well, let me read 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. According, uh, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in Jesus. God has given us every advantage. He's turned over every stone. He's cultivated the ground around us to give us every advantage to bear good fruit. The Apostle Peter writes in, in his second letter, uh, in chapter 1, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us Everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God has given us everything we need to be fruitful. Every care has been taken and he's lavished it upon us. I don't know about you, but the word lavish to, means, to me means kind of overarching excess. 
In case you missed any part, there's plenty to go around to fill in all the gaps. God has given that to us. Now, yet we read here in Isaiah, yet the vine has retained its natural wildness. It's, it's as if, as if um, the cultivation that was given was completely disregarded. Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah starts this, this uh, the, the recording of his vision of what the Lord says to him with these words. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared up and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel doesn't know my people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, the sons who act corruptly, they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. That's Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And that's where this, this vision starts, and we're back at that place here at the beginning in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. Now, it's important for us to understand that God has given us, God has given us free choice. Now, we read in Ephesians that he has predestined us to be, adopt to be adopted as his sons and daughters, right? And a lot of people... Um, Make the, make the leap to think that God is then controlling every outcome. No, his, his predestination, his desire is indeed the adoption of all to be his sons and daughters. But he has given us free choice. We can deliberately walk away from his grace. We can deliberately walk away. And we can also simply wander away. Wander, as in W-A-N-D-R. I've got a, a shirt that says, not all who wander are lost, right? Um, that's a, that's a, the story from Life is Good, the corporation, right? The reality is, is that we can wander away from the grace of God. Um, Horatio Spafford um, was a hymn writer in the in the early uh, mid nineteenth century. He lost his family uh, on a transatlantic uh, voyage. He went back to the spot where the ship sank and they lost their lives. And when they got there, the, the, uh, the captain of the ship alerted him. This is where your family was lost. And at that moment, he began to pen what has become an iconic hymn within the Christian family, the evangelical Christian family, I should say. We know it as it is well. It is well with my soul. The second half of the second verse is this. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. It's just there. It's part of my humanity. I'm prone to walk away. Prone to leave the God I love. And his response is, so here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. That's the prayer. That's an honest prayer. I think we tend to think that in our own willfulness, we can be faithful to God. Our will is involved, believe me. It is absolutely involved. But can we walk in faithfulness on our own, in our own power? No, we can't. It requires the partnership of the Holy Spirit. 
thanks be to God, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose in power. And 50 days later, what happened? Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 happened. And his, Jesus' disciples were empowered to preach the good news. And they began to see the evidence of the power of the Holy Spirit being marked out in their lives in ways they had never seen before. And the same is true for us today. We have the same power available to us. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, one of my most favorite passages. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be open, be enlightened, that you may know this, this love of God that surpasses understanding and the power that is available to us. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What power is that? It's the power to make dead things come alive. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, says the scripture, but we have been made alive together with Christ. And it's indeed that very power that enables us to, yes, set our will and then walk in God's provision in it. Now, whether we deliberately walk away or wander away, it is sin. It is rebellion against God. It's important to understand that our sin or our rebellion against God is not only offensive to him, but it's also heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking as if his grace never even touched us. And that's what's being expressed here in these first two verses of Isaiah 5. This is why the Apostle Peter admonishes us, admonishes us to remain disciplined. Again, in his second epistle, he writes in chapter 1, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. He says, this is all important. And this is your part to do in this. Um, there's a whole sermon in that little passage right there. Um, in fact, if you go on our website, you'll find the first sermon preached this year is from that passage. The reason here, the reason for this discipline is what Peter goes on to write. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Note this promise. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What is practice but repetition, right? Repetition to the point that there's muscle memory, and it happens automatically. If you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. It's important to understand that discipline and diligence in that discipline are required if we are going to grow in grace. Peter ends that second epistle with these words. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But grow, 
grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the intent that God has for us. That's what he's expecting of his vineyard. So growth and fruitfulness is God's expectation. He expected good grapes, but got worthless ones. So our takeaways are this. God has given us every advantage to thrive in his grace. He has given us freedom of choice, and we can deliberately walk away or wander away from God. Either way is sin or rebellion. And our sin and rebellion is not only offensive to God, but also heartbreaking, as if his grace has never touched us. Discipline and diligence in it are required of us to grow in grace. Growth and fruitfulness is God's expectation. So verse 3 and 4, you're thinking, how in the world are we going to get through this chapter? And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? God asked, what more could I have done? He asked the citizens of, of Jerusalem and the men of Judah to pass judgment on him and his vineyard. Jesus did a similar thing. In Mark chapter 12, we, we read of uh, the, his speaking of the parable of the vineyard and how, how um, the, uh, uh, a man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower. Sounds an awful lot like Isaiah, Right? And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce uh, 